Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. The Oxford English Dictionary defines a curiosity as a strange fact. On today's show, we're taking a look at two business curiosities. The first one is the greater your need for money, the harder it is to borrow it. In 2022, Elon Musk, then the richest man in the world, had no problem borrowing $13 billion to fund the purchase of Twitter, a company that had been losing money for most of its existence. If you're a small business owner in Louisiana or Mississippi, however, your chance of being turned down for a loan is 60%. And that's if you're white. If you're an Hispanic business owner, that number jumps up to 80%. And if you're black, the chance of your business loan application being rejected jumps to 87%. These statistics were compiled by a financial institution called HOPE. They're the reason for HOPE's existence in Louisiana, Mississippi, and other southern states. HOPE is a loan fund and credit unions supporting small businesses in primarily majority black and Latinx counties and parishes. The Senior Vice President of Community and Economic Development at HOPE is Kathy Saloy. Kathy, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me here. The other curiosity we're looking at today is the financial conundrum of college education. People go to college to get a degree to enable them to make more money during their working lives. But getting that degree requires years of financial hardship and the ramifications of borrowing money to finance an education often severely limits a person's economic opportunity for a, a decent portion of their working life. A startup called Hustlehawks is setting out to provide students a way of making an income while they're in college and to allow them to schedule their income creation around their studies. The co-founder and CEO of Hustlehawks is Gerald Rossin. Gerald, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Kathy, one of the measures of success that startup businesses proudly announce to the world is the amount of capital they've raised. To a non-business person, that might sound ironic because what they're actually trumpeting is the amount of debt they've taken on. But in a business sense, it's an indication of the confidence investors and bankers have in a concept or the person behind it. And that last sentence is important. Frequently, people who invest in companies will tell you they're investing in the person as much as or more than their business. There's no scientific formula that can tell you who's going to be a good bet to invest in. Your research that I quoted earlier points out that institutional lenders are less likely to believe in people of color. And that's the reason for your organization, HOPE. On the flip side of that, do you have research that proves that betting on Latinx, black, or women-owned businesses actually does pay off? So I don't have the exact statistics with me here today, but it actually does. So for you know a long time, systemic barriers have, have barred these types of businesses from thriving and contributing to the community because of the redlining that would happen. So at Hope, we're trying to remove that 
We have products and services that are catered to, um, to closing that generational wealth gap. So we partner, partnership is big. We, we leverage dollars with uh, public, private, and philanthropic sources and um, make sure that we cater our products and services so that we can meet the needs of this, these communities and these businesses. And we, uh, a large percentage of our members and our borrowers are, are women. Gerald, HustleHawks is basically a marketplace app where people looking for help for a specific task, who you call hawks, find people who want to do the job, who are the hustle part of the equation. The concept seems to be that the hustlers, who have to be students, sign up on your app and list themselves as available to work. The hawks list a task, a price they're willing to pay for it, and select a hustler from the ones available. No negotiation is allowed to be entered into this. So I'm trying to picture how this works. A college student is in the library when their hustle hawk app notifies them they have a three-hour gig at 2 p.m. chopping down a tree for $72. Is that kind of it? Yeah, it's fairly accurate. So, as you mentioned, if you're a student in the library, you can get a new job notification. A job was available, whether it is chopping a tree, doing someone's laundry, babysitting, dog walking, the tasks. We have a large variety of them. And if you're someone in the community, whether you're a mother looking for a babysitter for her kids or a small business owner that needs an extra set of hands, as a student, you can see all the jobs available and we have filters in place where you can see the types of jobs that fit your skill set and your schedule and all of those parameters. And you can reply to the job and then the customer can see all the students that replied and at the end of the day, they end up extending the offer to the student that they choose and then it's up to the student to accept the job if it is one that they're interested in. What is the reason behind having a, a non-negotiable uh, fee for the service? So traditionally with marketplaces, it's always the service provider that sets their rate that they charge for the service. And we wanted to flip that on its head and do something innovative where the customer sets the price that they want to pay. And in that sense, it's a price that they're happy with because they got to choose it. And because it's college students that are doing the work, Oftentimes, they're willing to work for more affordable rates than perhaps a service provider that has a mortgage to pay and a whole family to take care of. The college students are just looking for a convenient way to make money. And it kind of clicked with the use at the price. And the families and the hawks, as we call them on our platform, they love it um, because they know that they're happy with the price they're paying. And hopefully, they're happy in turn with the value they get from it. Now, Kathy, one of the things I was thinking about in your line of work here is that Success might be measured by putting you out of business in a way. They, they've, uh, you create that, that system for people to uh, be able to go to more traditional banks. Is that kind of the way I should be thinking of it? Uh, not necessarily. So I think there's a place for both. Uh, but with a community development financial institution like Hope, uh, again, uh, as I mentioned, we, we, we spend a lot of time partnering, understanding the needs of the community. And sometimes when someone comes to us or if they go to a traditional bank, the answer may be no, we can't do that lending. But our response is not now. We are going to partner. We are going to get them technical assistance. We're going to understand where their gaps are, where their weaknesses are, where their challenges have been. And we're going to work with them to get them bank ready, to get them credit ready. And I think that is the big difference. 
And again, we leverage dollars to do that. There may be some credit enhancement dollars. We may be working with a program that's gonna provide forgivable dollars so that it's not all debt because debt is, debt is good, it's gonna help businesses to thrive, but sometimes debt is not the only answer. So we can leverage dollars to do that. And um, you know, I just wanted to mention with some emergency capital investment program dollars that we have, there, we received $92 million. That helps us to expand our scope of uh, the lending that we can do. And with that, um, we are looking to, to assist 150,000 people. Uh, which impacts the community, I'm which sure provides will. jobs, and um, it's just a you know it's just a successful um, it's just a successful situation for that business owner and for the community. Gerald, one of the things I was been thinking about your model ever since I, we started to research uh, research the company, and you're at that funny stage where you want to grow, but you don't want to grow too fast, and you don't on the other hand you don't want to grow too slow. I mean, in some ways, you're, you're looking for some sort of Goldilocks uh, side. Right. And, well, how do you make this decision? And that, that's the challenge of it. And it's, it's exactly what you said. It's not growing too fast or too slow. But the other element is growing both sides of the marketplace in tandem together. Because the biggest, difficult of a mar the biggest difficulty of a marketplace is if we have too many customers, too many hawks on the platform and not enough students, then we aren't a platform for a consistent, reliable help, but vice versa, if there's too many students and not enough customers, too many hustlers, then we can't give the students the work that they're looking for because there's not enough jobs available. So the element of balancing the marketplace is the biggest difficulty, but we have a team in place where some people focus more on getting the student side and some people focus more on attracting the customer side. So it's about growing at the right speed, but also growing in the right balance as well. Kathy, what is a good example of the kind of, I'm sure it's pretty broad, but the kind of clients you, you've helped in these small businesses? Is there industries or size, something we should be thinking of? Sure. So, so it's varied, but um, so we're a mission-based organization because, again, we looked at the, the needs of uh, the communities and the people in the Mississippi Delta, and they fall into several different categories. So it's affordable housing, it's healthy food. So we've done some grocery store lending. We do a lot of grocery store lending. Uh, it's, it's education, so it's charter schools, it's community facilities. So, um, so we target those, those businesses uh, being mission-based. But then when it comes to just in general small businesses, uh, you know, it, it, it varies uh, across many industries, but those are the main ones that we target and, and can generally leverage more dollars or attract dollars from, you know, the philanthropic, the public and private funds. You know, I see these communities, one of the things that grabs me, of course, is that you've got a big box store that moves in and kind of wipes out the little businesses. Now, um, some smaller box chain stores are kind of coming in and getting the rest of it. Uh, um, it's got to make really hard in these rural communities to be fighting all that. It, it is, which is why we have our first food uh, financing initiative. So we've worked with um, the city of New Orleans on uh, some community development block grant funds. We also partner with the city of Baton Rouge, the state of Louisiana, and uh, the federal CDFI fund for fresh food financing initiatives so that we could have those incentives to operators to bring grocery stores where they have packed up and left. Uh, and so some situations, um, it's, you know, so, the, so the, the objective is to expand 
the access of healthy food because what happens in your 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 lower income neighborhoods is you have the corner stores that's selling not fresh fruits and produce right so that's why we have um, we have this program that provides incentives and it's a challenge but uh, we've been able to do that we've also um, partnered to have some alternative grocery store models um, and that's really been helpful uh, in Mississippi where it's not an actual grocery store but it's a center where uh, the community residents can order food and then they pick it up at a certain location so and so we seek those those options as well. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Kathy Saloy from the Loan Fund and Credit Union Hope and Gerald Rawson from the student labor marketplace app Hustlehawks. Gerald, uh, obviously we told everybody you were Canadian. Yes. Why? why, yes. why? Tor- Toronto. Ontario. Oh, Toronto. Okay. Why New Orleans? Yeah, so New Orleans is the first market that we cho- that we chose to launch at, and it was for a multitude of reasons. The first one was because the nature of our business is dealing with students. We needed a city that had a lot of schools, and not only are there a lot of schools in the city, they're, they're geographically spread out around the city. So we know when a customer, a hawk, signs on the signs up on the app, chances are there's a student in a campus that's nearby, and so that was a big selling point to the city. Also. The big thing is pre-launch, a lot of our natural web traffic and interest about the app was coming from the southern states, and a lot of that from Louisiana and New Orleans. And another reason was, honestly, when we were choosing where to launch, it was around the time that Hurricane Ida hit. And from what we were being told from people that we were starting to network with in the community, is there's a need for this, and a lot of students that were looking for flexible jobs, and a lot of people, families, and small businesses, and larger businesses that needed that extra help and affordable help to get back on their feet. So we wanted to be a catalyst for change to help the city recover. And after coming here, we spent the entire month here in September networking and and meeting some of the locals, obviously. And it's an amazing city, the best food, the best people, the best music. And from what we hear and from what we're seeing and the, the feedback we're getting, it's the city that could really use this platform. And we're happy to help and happy to be here. So have you in some way, uh, I teach at Tulane, if I was looking for a babysitter, for instance, right. there would like a, be a bulletin board. And you're just, is your app kind of making, it's a much better <laughs> uh, operated bulletin board? Like, Not exactly from the customer's perspective. So if you wanted to look for a babysitter on Hustlehawks, you would post the babysitting job with all your details. You could add a picture if you want. Um, and then you set your price, which is our big selling point. And then all of the students see the jobs, sort of like a bulletin board. And then the students, because you set your price, they'll reach out to you if they think it's a good value, fair job, and they, they want to help you. And you get to see each other's profiles to see if there's that fit there, along with chatting back and forth prior to the job. And then out of, out of all the students that reach out to you and you have those conversations, at the end of the day, you as the customer are choosing the student you want. So you kind of just see the students that showed interest in your specific job. And uh, where does Hope get dollars, Kathy? Are, are you a bank? Are you a not-for-profit? How does it all work? So we have three arms. So we are a credit union. We are Hope Enterprise Corporation, which is our nonprofit arm. And then we have a policy institute. So our nonprofit arm, um, again, um, philanthropic sources and also loan funds um, through many different sources. That could be you know, municipalities. That could be the federal government, as I indicated. We have the 92 million, which is a, you know, federal funds. So they come from various sources, and and so that that creates our loan fund. But then we have the credit union side as well. Now, one of the things that jumped right out at me is that you weren't 
a newcomer to this whole thing. You were that's 20, 23 years at Hibernia Capital One. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so when you were there, did you see the need for what you're doing now? Um, you know, in the communities that I lived in, I did see the need. It, it wasn't as gleaming and as prevalent there because that wasn't their main focus. It wasn't mission focused and it wasn't necessarily to help the underserved, right? And so either you met the you met the criteria for the rate and the credit quality score or you didn't. Whereas the difference is a credit score is not the first thing that we look at. We look at many other factors and then we look at a credit score. It is a part of the formula, but it's not heavily weighted. And we look at lower credit scores. And again, it may be not now, but we're gonna take the measures to help you. So, so there is a difference, which is why there's a place for, for both institutions. <laughs> Gerald, the one part I wanted to get clear on though is you have the problem that not many people have, is if you really get this thing going, you've got a lot of turnover. Right. Yeah. And uh, so you've got to kind of keep feeding it, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and a lot of people look at that as a you know, complication that we may experience. And, and there's definitely an element of that. But we see it in some ways as a strength as well. Because as we build our relationships with the schools, there's always new students coming in. And at a school like Tulane, where there's you know, a new cohort of freshmen coming in, which is you know, 25% of the student population, it's actually more than that. Because you have students that are dropping out or transferring and, and new Tulane students coming in. So it's perhaps even close to that 35% mark, uh, but it allows us to constantly market and constantly get the new students and sort of become affiliated with Tulane as a resource for incoming freshmen to not only make money on their own schedule, but also meet other Tulane students that are doing this and perhaps even tutor each other and, and do jobs for each other around campus. So um, there is an element of the turnover, but in some ways it, it is a strength of our business and it's something that you know separates our marketplace as as a unique aspect of the service providers. And which um, which schools are you working with? Yeah, so we have over 100 students at Tulane, over 100 at Felgado. We also work with Xavier. We have some students at UNO, some at Loyola, a few at Dillard. So pretty much all around the city, even even some at Holy Cross as well. Kathy, when I talk to bankers, they a lot of them will say that this unbanked or uh, underbanked uh, segment is a great growth opportunity for them. but. What's going on there? They don't seem to be making the loans. Um, are they just looking for deposits? Well, you know, it starts with education. So we, again, we want to understand why they're underbanked and why they're not using financial institutions and educating them on, um, on why you should. Because if you don't, you're transacting money in some form or fashion, and that could be costly. And so it's education on why you should use a bank and, and, and bring in attention and awareness to the fees that, that's paid and how it can benefit you in the long run. And I think that's the difference. So uh, it's happening. It, it may be happening slow. As, as we get more into this cashless society, there's more of a realization that you need to have a relationship. And so we don't, we don't present it as you need to do business with a financial institution. It's, you need to have a relationship with a banker. And you need some education behind that. And so, you know, we have many resources that provides that education. We do a lot of financial literacy. We have 
uh, an online system where you can take those courses at your own leisure. But we try to present them in a way that it's, it's inviting and motivating. And so it all starts with education with that unbanked community. And I remember you know, opening my first bank account was very intimidating. Mm -hmm. In the process, you wouldn't have to be a person that had been around a long time without a bank. You could be, I'd, they would feel the same way I did, I guess. Yeah, so. it's, it's intimidating to business owners. It's intimidating to, to many individuals. And so it starts with, you know, just, just having them to understand that it's just developing a rapport and having a relationship with someone. Now, Kathy, those are uh, money that comes into you is tax deductible, right? The, uh, the donations that come through? Uh, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, you... Gerald cannot, you're not uh, a not-for-profit. Right. Where are you coming up with the money? I mean, just, I know eventually it'll fund itself, but right at this point. Uh, yeah, so we, we take a commission on every job completed, and our big thing is no hidden fees. So when we say you set the price, it's not you set the price and then you get dinged with, you know, I always use some of the food delivery platforms as reference. Uh, if you've ever ordered, I don't know, let's say a burrito on, on a platform and it's $10 and then by the time you check out it's $25 with service fees, delivery fees, a small order fee. We make a joke of fee for breathing air. There's all these different fees. We, we didn't want to have what any of that. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can fill in the blank. But um, on our platform, we didn't want to have any, any extra fees. So what we do is we just take a flat commission on the jobs posted at 25%. And so if you posted a job as a customer for let's say $100, we didn't want any mental math to happen, so the students see it on their job board as a 75, so they know what they're making, and we already took our cut through that process once the payment goes through. See, I was afraid it was gonna be the way so many are, where that, uh, that student is just hoping for tips. And right, and there is a tipping component as well, and all of the tips, 100%, do go to the student, and you'd be surprised, a lot of other marketplace platforms, they take a cut of the tips as well. And we think that's unethical, and we wanted all the tips that were earned by the student to go to the student. So that's a, that is a good sort of addition on the platform. But what we've noticed from the jobs that have been getting done is the tips haven't even been financial in some aspects. We had a student that decorated some cheesecake for a high-profile baker in the city, and she sent that student home with hundreds of dollars worth of cheesecake. We also had a student that did some moving around for, for a family and they sent him home with a rice cooker. So it's just something creative in the city where the families wow. are, are finding their own. You know own the IRS is listening, right? That's the <laughs> important part in here. <laughs> Kathy, we're talking about um, lack of ethics in, in Gerald's side of the business, but what can we do as a country to rectify the, the terrible unjust lending practices? Is there initiatives in that area, lobbying? Well, I think lobbying is a part of it, which is why HOPE has a policy institute, right? Where we advocate for uh, lending practices and financial practices and funding sources, et cetera. So I think we just have to continue to do that uh, uh, and to be able to tell these stories and to show the impact that these black and brown and Latino, you know, business owners can make. You know, again, it's revitalizing communities, it's providing jobs, and um, it's it's important, and so we have to continue to fight for it. So, Gerald, you have an interesting model, and it's so needed in our college campuses. How do you screen those college students for these jobs? Right, so for the college students, we do it uniquely in the sense that we allow them to initiate their own background check, and we give them all the steps and the tools to do that. And then as a customer, unlike other platforms, you can actually view their background check and screening documents firsthand instead of just trusting that the platform did it for you. But what we tell some of our customers is, 
you know you can be screened and vetted but it still might not be the right fit for your job and so a specific task that we offer on our platform we call it a meetup task where you can post a task at the minimum of ten dollars to meet the student and if it's something like babysitting you got to meet them in a public location or introduce them to your family and actually sort of meet them and vet them out yourself and make sure they are the right fit uh, for that job and another element of that is ratings and reviews so everyone does have a rating and review so not only do you see their reviews but you see what job they got reviewed for to see you know if they're especially good at one thing versus another and you chat back and forth and at the end of the day you do choose your student so we do definitely promote the fact that meeting up with the student is the best way to do it because like I said, a screening doesn't necessarily mean that they are the right fit for the job in any case. Good. Thank you for that. Yeah. And Kathy, I, I was wondering, since we do have a large network of students on our, on our platform, some of the, the value that the credit union could provide to some of the students in the city that are also starting to you know, fund their own businesses and, and get involved with the finance sector of the city. So that is an excellent question. So we realize that there is definitely an opportunity for there there for the students so we have it's called a collaboration it's a deep south economic mobility collaboration so we work with hbcus and the purpose for working with the hbcus is to do several things uh, to uh, meet the needs of the faculty mainly to meet the needs of the students so being on campus again we have that educational piece because we want them to be prepared for life after college but surprisingly there are so many entrepreneurs on campus yeah. and so again uh, we talk to them we make sure that they um, they are taking advantage of technical assistance and also what I learned with working with the HBCUs many of them have a small business development center on campus so just making sure that they are you know knowledgeable of that and using that and then also you know introducing to them the benefits of um, a credit union and being credit ready and some of the steps that they need to take when they do need capital. Gerald, I was thinking that word of mouth has got to be really a good way for you to get new students, right? I mean, it's like, you know, Johnny never has any money and we're always paying for his beers and all of a sudden he has cash. What, what, right. what are you doing? No, yeah, exactly. Word of mouth is the number one thing and it's, it's even larger on the customer side because nothing beats hearing about a service that was valuable to you from a friend or a family member opposed to you know an ad or anything else so the word of mouth component is huge and fortunately in the city everyone is very social and lively and so word of mouth travels fast and it has helped us a lot it's stating the obvious to point out that we all need money uh, generally there are only two ways to get a hold of it work for it or borrow it on paper that sounds straightforward enough but in the real world neither of those options are simple and both options are made more difficult if you fall into the subsets of the population that includes students, women, and people of color. Kathy and Gerald, both of you are working to shorten the distance between money and the people who need it. Kathy, a lot of people have already benefited from your efforts over the many years. And Gerald, a lot of people will hopefully benefit from yours in the near future. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kathy Savoy. I'm sorry. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kathy Saloy. She's the Senior Vice President of Community and Economic Development at Hope. And Gerald Rawson, co-founder and CEO of Hustle Hawks. 
we edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Kathy and Gerald and their respective businesses by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.